it was very disheartening because I felt like I had had this sort of moment of clarity at the end of my corporate career where I said, my life has to look different than this. And four years later, I was right back in that same space going, my life has to look different than this. This just isn't working for me. Um, and I'll tell you, and I, you know, Danny, you're going to be the first person besides uh, this friend of mine that I said this to. I had this moment where a friend of mine, Michael, he took me to breakfast and he asked me, you know, how are you doing? And I said, you know, honestly, I am depressed. And he asked me, he goes, what does that look like? And I said this sentence, and it's a really scary sentence. I said, you know, I don't want to be alive. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. I remember the moment like it was yesterday. It was a nondescript late Tuesday morning in early September. I was at my client's office, my senior colleague was sitting beside me, and I was struggling to hit send on this one particular email. Not because it contained anything wrong, at least I didn't think so, and not because it contained anything that would make someone mad, at least I hope it didn't, but because it contained my formal resignation. You see, I had been in my job for a little over two years. I had made a ton of friends, gained a bunch of experience, worked my butt off when I needed to, did pretty well, got promoted, got bonuses, but I just thought that it was time to move on. Except at this most crucial juncture, this most pivotal of pivot points, I found myself frozen, staring at the screen and unable to perform this simple action that I had done countless of times before. What will my new life look like? What kinds of challenges and obstacles will I have to overcome? Will I be able to find stability, security, and fulfillment? Or will this moment be stained with regret years later? In almost every facet of life, there comes a point where change is necessary, be it an underperforming government, a failing business, or an unhealthy lifestyle. Nothing that seems wrong should stay wrong forever. But of course, this does not mean that change is easy and frictionless. There is always an attachment to the familiar, an inertia to adopting something new, or a crippling fear of the unknown. Established institutions can take years or decades for meaningful differences to take place, and you've probably given up on a New Year's resolution or a diet at some point in your life. For this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we are going to be exploring these themes with the story of Tony Lloyd, a former corporate executive who left his comfortable job and ventured into the unknown. And if you're wondering what happened with me in the email, well, after about 15 minutes, my senior got fed up with my stalling and hit send for me. On to the episode.
I've noticed that in a lot of places, you frequently mention that you are a former Fortune 500 executive, right? So to start off with, could you paint a picture of who you were back then when you were this uh, Fortune 500 exec? I can. Uh, you know, you saying that I frequently say it makes me a little self-conscious now. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm saying it too much. Right? Uh, but uh, I had a uh, independent consulting career, very technical career, engineering kind of career. Mm. Uh, and then I was recruited in by a company called John Deere, and they manufacture construction equipment. Mm. Uh, they manufacture farm equipment, uh, homeowner equipment. Uh, and they recruited me in, and I started off as a manager there, eventually uh, left there. I went into another role with a company that was spun off from S.C. Johnson. At a, um, I was their global head of learning and development. Right. Uh, I was a director director with a company called Medtronic, and I was a vice president with a company called Buffalo Wild Wings, which is a uh, chain restaurant in the United States. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> uh, Danny, honestly, in a lot of ways, I was sort of like the Forrest Gump of business. Like, you know, I kept stumbling into good opportunities, and people <laughs> were nice to me and, you know, helped me along, and, and so here I am. When I interviewed with John Deere, I wasn't really sure I wanted to work in a corporate environment. Mm. Um, so I went in for my interview, and I had done as one does in the middle of an interview. I would sort of built this table in my head where I said, well, your job description says this, and let me tell you about my experience there, and your job description says that, and let me tell you about that experience. And he stopped me right in the middle of the interview, and he goes, look, I didn't ask you what my job description says. I want to know what you can do. I was like, well, okay, that's a different <laughs> question, isn't it? So uh, so he and I had a conversation. It was just this rich, amazing conversation about possibilities and about focusing on, you know, the value that we create for customers and about, you know, uh, right. sustainable, profitable growth in a company and how that's created. And, and so after this conversation went on for a while and he goes, well, look. When you come to work for us, and it's not a matter of if, when you come to work for us, don't ever be limited by your job description. If mm. you can do it, and he sort of did his hands like this come forward motion. He goes, if you can do it, just do it. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all of a sudden, I was really interested in this opportunity. And so they recruited me in, and I took the job, and I had a few roles. I ended up working with a team. We created an a online corporate university for them, and we mm. called it John Deere University. You know, kind of early days for internet-based learning. It was around 1998, 1999. Oh, wow, yeah. And so... Uh, you know, it, it was a real breakthrough project and that it's just, you know, this really cool experience that still lives today many years later. Yeah. So that was the beginning of my corporate career. Uh, I was recruited out of there by Diversi and eventually that company was sold. And so I had an opportunity to go from there. Someone recommended me to a position with Medtronic. And again, Danny, it's it's always been this thing where I really haven't gone out seeking these roles. It's like somebody liked me, somebody was nice to me, yeah. and they recommended me for this opportunity. You know, like I said, I'm sort of the Forrest Gump of business. It's like 
just lucky things happen to me, you know. So, uh, so I, I really have been uh, very blessed, very fortunate uh, to have the opportunities that I've had. So that's a bit of background about Tony, the self-proclaimed Forrest Gump of the business world, who had a relatively smooth sailing career, working through various projects and roles within various companies. At this point, you might be thinking wait a minute, everything seems to be going fine. Why would he ever want to change? Well, everything did seem fine, but some things just didn't sit right. As I went through my corporate experience, I learned a lot about how to be within a corporation. Mm. And we used to have this uh, this phrase, uh, sustainable, profitable growth. So if, if a company is sustainable and profitable, that's great. But if it's not growing, it doesn't work. So that always seemed like sort of the magic trifecta, you know, that mm. that if if you are growing in a sustainable way, if you're growing in a way that is profitable, then you've really done the thing that you're supposed to be doing. But what I started to notice was this preeminence of the shareholder above every other stakeholder. Just to provide a bit of clarity here, your shareholders are the so-called owners of the company in the sense that they are the ones who bought into the business through shares, have the ability to collectively make executive decisions about the company's leaders, and are entitled to a portion of the company's net profits by way of the occasional dividend. Stakeholders, on the other hand, are basically the people that are affected through the company's business operations. So this could range from anyone like a customer, a supplier, the government, an employee, the residents in the community, and so on. And so that might show up as maybe you're you're honoring the, the shareholder, but you are polluting the planet, or you're taking care of the shareholder and you're creating a toxic environment for your employees. Uh, so you have, you know, regulators and suppliers and the communities in which we work, right? So you have all these shareholders, or stakeholders, but it seems that when push comes to shove, the shareholder, the people who own the stock of the company, they get to win. If you've come across just a modicum of business or global news anytime in your life, stories like these shouldn't be anything too new, right? We always hear of the big bad company bullying its employees or polluting the environment or avoiding their taxes just for the sake of those dirty, dirty profits. However, what I think is the less commonly told story is that of the conflicted employee. Imagine that you are working for one such company. You do your part, you generate tons of value, you are rewarded handsomely for your efforts, but at the end of the day, your values just don't align with that of the company that you work for. So, what do you do then? I started this process of thinking about this, about Number one, is that really required, right? And, and there are some legal fiduciary responsibilities that companies have to their shareholders, and I understand that, right. and it's, it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, because I invest in companies, and I expect them to give me a return on my investment, and mm -hmm. so I, I understand that mindset. Uh, but what I began to think about was, do we really have to hold the shareholders up at the cost of the planet, the community, our employees, our customers, etc. Is that really a sustainable 
business? Can you really sustain a business over time while ignoring all these other important stakeholders? So that was my thinking, and it really began to bother me. I had an experience in one of the companies where I was at. They were going to go to Washington, D.C., and they were going to have lobbying day. And because I was an executive, you know, they asked me if I would go along with them. And I've I've been to state capitals and the national capital, and I've talked to legislators about issues that were important to us as a company. And so I said, well, sure, I can do that. I have, you know, the ability. I'm very comfortable in that role. But what are we going to talk about? And this particular company said, well, there are a lot of pieces of legislation coming up right now to raise the minimum wage, and we want to go to Washington and fight against that. And it stunned me because I said, well, actually, I am a proponent of raising the minimum wage because I think one of the problems with the burdens of society is that we're not paying a living wage to people. And when you don't pay a living wage, you know, it creates all these other problems. Right. And so so it, it sort of shocked me that that was the thing they were going there to lobby about. And, and so those that was one example of where I really felt this sense of conflict. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, at that point, I actually sat down and I wrote a series of blog posts and I called them My Jerry Maguire Moment. And <laughs> there's a movie called Jerry Maguire. And right at the beginning of the movie, he writes this mission statement. Right. And then he sends it around to everybody and then <laughs> tries to run around and pick the mission statement back up in the morning when sobriety finally hit his mind. You know? <laughs> So, uh, so, but I kind of had a moment like that where I was saying, look, you know, the things we're trying to do, they're not working for me. And that my values and the values that are being displayed here, and it wasn't just about that company, it was about corporations in general and about the way that many leaders run a business. Hmm. It, it just didn't match with my set of values. So how does one live with integrity? How does one live with their values if their values are in conflict with that shareholder-only value system? Exactly. I'm just wondering, you know, how did that change your sort of worldview? Did it have any impact uh, in the way that you saw the the corporate world that you were working in? I think that the higher up the ladder you go, the more you see how decisions are made. Mm. You get a, a greater understanding about the priorities and how there's these choices and trade-offs. And so every time you make a choice, you're really making a decision not to do something else. Right. So the longer I was inside of a corporation and the more I was privy to how decisions are made, and this is a bizarre thing, I mm. began I began to think about our accounting systems. Mm. Because if you think about how you account for the cost of the goods sold, you know, this is how much I paid for that. And that thing got on a truck and it got shipped here. Mm. And here I am. And now I'm going to, you know, add value and I'm going to send it out to my customers. But who accounts for our carbon footprint? Uh, who accounts for our waste stream, the pollution that we put into the, into the ground? Who accounts for when you don't pay a living wage? You know, I was aware of the fact that productivity 
and profitability of companies has been marching northward up to the upper right-hand corner of the chart, while wages have remained relatively flat. Hmm. And so where did all that money go? Well, it goes to the people who can afford to own the stock in these companies. Right. So I'm afraid I'm starting to get on my soapbox here a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I can feel myself getting worked up about this. And, and again, you know, I don't think anybody is doing anything evil. I don't think that they are necessarily, you know, purposefully uh, trying to harm people. But I think this is the system and the set of uh, rewards and consequences that we have set up. And right. there just has to be a better way. While I find this discussion about trade-offs and executive decisions and maximizing shareholder value fascinating, I'm sorry to say that this is not exactly the platform for that, and the story has to continue. In fact, if you are interested in these topics, you can listen to Tony's own podcast called Social Entrepreneur, where he further examines the intersections of profit and purpose. I'll add the links to those in the episode description. But for the moment, we carry on. So here's Tony, knocking projects out of the park and climbing corporate ladders, but slowly finding out that he doesn't really suit the corporate world. Eventually, it got to a point where he said enough is enough, and he just couldn't play the game anymore. I think that what happened to me is what happens to a lot of people, is you have to come to this point where you say, am I willing and able to play the game? And does this match my values? And if it doesn't, then it really it becomes a struggle. And you have a hard time showing up and being your best person every day. Now, the thing I also want to say is everything that I'm saying, I'm saying from a position of privilege, right? That uh, we had enough savings and investments that I was able to leave my role and to go off and to do other things. And I recognize that there are a lot of people who are struggling week to week to, you know, take care of their family and make the mortgage and all that. And they don't really have a lot of choices. So I don't, you know, I don't want to come off as saying, well, you know, all you have to do is just leave your job. I get that there are a lot of people that that's a hard, hard decision to make. Uh, but, you know, I had a conversation with the senior vice president, the person who was over me, and he and I had a really great conversation. He's like, it seems to me you're not happy here. And I said, you know what? It seems to me I'm not happy here, too. <laughs> you know? And and we just had this really good conversation, and we made the decision that this wasn't really a great fit for me anymore, that, that my values and the values of this corporation weren't aligned. And, you know, we made the decision, and I packed up my office, and I left. So paint a picture for us, right? You've just uh, left your job, and then the next day you wake up. How do you feel? Uh, a little afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Highly motivated, though. Right. Um, and also exhausted. Right. Um, you know, like I said, one of the things that had happened to me was I had been running on a lot of no sleep and caffeine. Mm -hmm. So I, I took a 
a wee bit of time to recover, but I also knew I needed to make a living. Right, right, right. And from the outset, did you already have like a clear idea of what you wanted to do? You know, there's a great line from the uh, uh, movie Indiana Jones where. Uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is in the back of this truck and it's going off to Cairo. And he tells these people, oh, you go follow them. I'm going to go follow this truck. And he jumps on a horse and they, they're like, what are you doing? And he goes, I don't know. I'm making it up. And, uh, and that's kind of how I felt, right? I felt like Indiana Jones on the back of that horse going, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just making this up. And honestly, Danny, I started off thinking I was going to do consulting work, but what I figured out pretty quickly was my skill set and my offering was in no way differentiated from everybody else's skill set and offering. And so I really didn't have a unique selling proposition. I really did struggle to get my footing for a long time. Mm. So jumping from like years and years in the corporate world, right? Right. Having all these systems and, and all these uh, hierarchies and all these things uh, being already established to now jumping into the startup world where you have to build that thing from scratch. Uh, right. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that, that struggle and what it was like. Yeah. You know, I think um, I will confess, Danny, this is probably my biggest failure mm. is that when I left my corporate life, you know, I was working these astronomical number of hours every week. I'd wake up early with things on my mind. I'd crawl out of bed at four or five o'clock in the morning. Mm. I'd go hit the laptop. I'd work until it was time to get in the car and drive. You know, I might hit the gym on the way in. I'd drive to work. I'd stay until late into the evening. I'd come home, have a little bit of dinner, visit with my wife, and then crash back into bed. Mm. And so I had done that for a lot of years. And so when I went off and started my startup life, as you pointed out, uh, I sort of fell into that hustle and grind mentality. You know, if you mm. if you hang out with a bunch of startup entrepreneurs, you're going to get this sort of burn the midnight oil weekends, uh, you know, this sort of hustle and grind mentality. And honestly, the worst boss I ever had in my entire life was me. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wore myself completely out, uh, you know, really living this startup life where I, I replaced the go, go, go 24 hours a day corporate life with go, 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 24 hours a day, weekends included, startup life. To reiterate a point that I mentioned in the beginning, change takes time. You don't go from bad to good overnight. And as Tony's story shows, you certainly don't immediately start living your best life just because you left your job. Moreover, what I think is important to note here as well is the relationship that individuals have with their companies. On the surface level, your company provides you with employment, income, a routine, a career, networking opportunities, and projects upon projects to fill out your resume. But once you leave that company, you start to realize that it gave you something else entirely, a purpose. You know, right now, if you go online, Danny, and mm. you spend any time at all, and you, let's say you start searching for things about startups or how to start a business, pretty soon the algorithms online are going to start serving you up these 
you know, thoughts and schemes and whatever. You know, you right. have to you have to have a digital product. You have to build a funnel. You have to have this software. You have to you have to have webinars. Well, you have to be well known, so you need to start a podcast. Oh, by the way, while you're at it, you need to do right. you know, um, you have to write a book and you have to be a best selling author and you ha- you know, and so I really sort of fell into the trap of just doing so many things and trying to do it all and trying to do it all well. And it's really not sustainable. So after about four years of starting up my company, you know, I, mm. I, I, I did the things that I was supposed to do. I, you know, I went out and used a human centric design to try to find, you know, what, what's the pain point I'm trying to solve and who am I trying to solve it for? And Mm. then how do I solve it? And why am I the right person to solve it? I established credibility and authority. I wrote a book. I, you know, it became a bestseller. I started a podcast. It's, you know, 180 countries, more than half a million downloads. Mm. It's, you know, I've done all these things that if you listen to the gurus, they are going to tell you this is what it takes to succeed. But I really ended up sort of this existential crisis, if you will, It was very disheartening because I felt like I had had this sort of moment of clarity at the end of my corporate career Hmm. where I said, my life has to look different than this. And four years later, I was right back in that same space (laughs) going, my life has to look different than this. This just isn't working for me. Um, and I'll tell you, and I, you know, Danny, you're going to be the first person besides uh, this friend of mine that I said this to. I had this moment where a friend of mine, Michael, he took me to breakfast and he asked me, you know, how are you doing? And I said, you know, honestly, I am depressed. Mm. And he asked me, he goes, what does that look like? And I said this sentence, and it's a really scary sentence. I said, you know, I don't want to be alive. I feel guilty for saying that I'm depressed, but here's the real scenario. If there were a gas leak in our house and my wife and I died, it would take a year before some credit card would expire or something and our bills would stop getting paid and then somebody would finally come knock on the door and do a welfare check on us mm. and they would find our bloated bodies in a house. You know, that was the scenario I had in my mind. And and then and then just as an afterthought I said to him, but you know, I think our dog would be okay because he would feed on our carcass. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's how that's how low I had gotten to be. You know, obviously it would be a closed casket funeral at that point. Right. <laughs> But that was my screwed up moment where I have everything going for me. Um, you know, we are okay financially. Uh, I have a wife who loves and adores me. I have great children. I have wonderful grandchildren. And yet I was suffering from anxiety and depression to the point where I honestly did not understand the point of life. I just didn't get what it was that I was trying to do.
I honestly spent zero time thinking about myself. And you know this as well as I do. And in my head, I think I knew it, but I wasn't really living this, which is you can't pour from an empty vessel. And so where I've come to in the last year is I've, I've begun to think that really our purpose here on earth is to connect with others and to make a contribution, but you can't do that if you don't practice self-care. Here's the funny thing about screwed up moments. They are definitely not things that you want to experience, but at the same time, you don't really see or have the motivation to change what's wrong with your lifestyle or your habits until you've gone through them and until you've taken the time to sit down and reflect. In a way, it's kind of like human nature's bitter pill. You probably won't like it, but ultimately it will be good for you. In Tony's case, he was continuing his hectic work schedule essentially out of habit, hustling for the sake of hustling, and following all these gurus and entrepreneurs without a clear sense of his own purpose and direction. The real irony here being that he left the corporate world because his values didn't align with that of his company, but when he had the chance to forge his own direction, he chose to follow others instead. And so, when he eventually hit rock bottom and had his existential crisis, he finally realized how much he was neglecting himself and his own self-care. And that was when he decided to venture on a completely different journey. A year of personal best. Last year, after I had that conversation with my friend Michael, one of the things he did for me was he sent me an interview with a guy, um, there's a podcaster named Rich Roll, Mm. and he was interviewing somebody named Johan Hari. And Johan Hari had written a book called Lost Connections. He had spent several years investigating what causes anxiety and depression. And he came up with a list of nine causes, and only two of them have anything to do with your brain or your genes. Hmm. So, you know, it's being disconnected from other people, from meaningful work, from dealing with your traumas, from status and respect, from the natural world, from hope for a better future. And so he has these nine different areas where uh, he talks about what's causing your anxiety and depression. So that started me on this journey where I said, okay, what would it look like if I spent the next year living my year of personal bests. Like, what would it look like if I was living my best physically, emotionally, intellectually, in my marriage, as a parent, socially, in my financial life, and in every area of my life? What would it look like if I lived my best life for an entire year? And then in each of those areas, I laid out a plan to say, what am I going to do to be better in each of these areas? So, you know, one of the first things I did was I started to sleep. You know, I got a uh, I got a watch that measures my sleep, and a lot of people wear, you know, whether they have a Fitbit, I have a Garmin watch, or they use, you know, a lot of different things. 
So I slept better. The other thing I did was I ran a lot. So in 2019, I ran 1,790 miles. And at the age of 60, I set a new lifetime PR in 13 different distances from the mile all the way through the marathon. And another thing is I started a plant-based diet. So I had been uh, you know, trying a different diets throughout my life. And last year I got really determined that I wanted to switch to a plant-based lifestyle. Not only is it good for me, it's good for the planet. My LDL cholesterol is down 29%. My triglycerides are down 38%. My cholesterol is down 40%. And I lost 16.4 pounds of weight. And so, you know, those are those are just some examples uh, in one area of how I made progress uh, by really measuring what it was that I was trying to do. I think about like the stresses of modern life, right? That people are checking their phone every three seconds. Um, you know, the news comes on, for example, and there is this price to be paid from constantly dealing with stress like that. So one of the things that really did for me was it gave me a moment to sort of step back. You know, I, I now do a morning mindfulness routine and I do these, um, you know, uh, deep breathing exercises and I'm doing all these things to sort of push out the boundaries of stress and to create space for myself. You know, because I'm not constantly thinking stress thoughts, then it gives my mind an opportunity to think about other things and to make other choices and then have other behaviors which create other feelings. And so uh, it's really been this sort of upward spiral uh, for me in my life. I feel like our mission in life or our purpose for being here on earth, it's really to connect with others and to make a contribution. Well, because I've been practicing self-care, there's more of me available then. You know, when you're stressed, Danny, you know, you're looking for this threat all the time. And so your mind is out of sync. And when you, when, when I feel like I'm thriving, when I feel safe and healthy and, and grounded, then I'm able to really be present with the job at hand and I'm really able to make a greater contribution and really be more efficient and have a greater impact with my life because I've invested in myself. And so with that brings the end to this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and much, much thanks to Tony Lloyd for sharing his story. I gotta say, I really like how it came full circle at the end, like he was disconnected at work, left and still felt disconnected, but through his year of personal best and self-care, managed to regain that all-important sense of purpose, and I guess you could say a sense of thriving as well. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or check out his current works, you can visit TonyLloyd.com. That's T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D.com. I'll be leaving links in the episode description and show notes as well. Do check them out. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness is a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions. Episode music was sourced from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe. 
If you enjoyed listening to these Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email dkoordi at fableproductions.com. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. Thank you for listening.